get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs, with 43 locations, real deals are always close by. We are joined by former Eagles quarterback, played for Dick Vermeil, the uh, the new Hall of Famer, Dick Vermeil. Ron Jaworski, kind enough to stop by. Jaws, great to see you. Randy, Michelle, it's just awesome being with you guys on an unbelievably special occasion where Dick Vermeil goes in the Hall of Fame. Yep. Very, very, very special. Not only to guys like me and former players, but I know... Uh, the people back in St. Louis that have unbelievable appreciation for what Coach did with the St. Louis Rams. And I'll tell you what, there's a, a great NFL Films feature, I'm sure you've seen it, on Coach Vermeil. The impact that he had on men, in addition to football players, but the, the impact that he had on men is remarkable. What was the impact that he had on Ron Jaworski beyond just playing quarterback in the NFL? Well, any, any success I've had kind of throughout my career, a lot of it can be attributed to Dick Vermeil and the lessons I learned from him. Obviously, football was the, the backbone. You know, I mean, he was my football coach, but he was a mentor. Uh, and he taught me about life. Uh, he taught me how to deal with people. He taught me how to deal with my family, how to be a good husband, how to be a good father. And, and he took time. You know, he was one of those guys who took time to talk to people. It wasn't just kick your butt on the field. He did that now. He did, <laughs> he did that as well as anybody. But he also was the same guy that would put his arm around you and say, this is how we do things. This is how, how you should do things. This is how you should treat people. This is a work ethic that you need to have to be successful. So, hey, you know, I'm, I was a, a kid growing up outside of Buffalo in a steel town. 20,000 people worked in a steel mill. My mom worked. My dad worked. Uh, my brother worked. My sister worked. I was the only one that went to college. And so, you know, Dick took me under his wing, taught me how to be successful, not only as a, as a football player, but as a person. He taught me life lessons. And, you know, 31 years at ESPN as a broadcaster, you know why? Because I worked hard. Now, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not making any, you know, I wasn't born with the greatest talent, but I, I worked my butt off because of Dick Vermeule's uh, mentorship that taught me, hey, you work hard, good things will happen. What about Dick Vermeil, the football coach? We we hear so much about Dick Vermeil, the man. That's what everybody leads with. But you guys had such a deep partnership. Tell me about Dick Vermeil, the football coach. Well, him and I have such a long relationship. In fact, most people don't know this. Uh, in 1973, now we're going back now. That was my rookie year in the National Football League. I was drafted by the St. Louis Rams. Dick Vermeil was the running backs coach with the Rams in 1973. Then he went to UCLA and had his run before he went to Philadelphia. But, so he, he knew me for my rookie year in Los Angeles. Now, I was far from a polished product at that point. I mean, I was just a strong-arm young kid come out of Youngstown State University and could you know, throw the ball through a car wash without the ball getting wet. I mean, that, <laughs> that's about all I had, right? He taught me about football. He taught me about life. He taught me how to work out. He taught me how to train. He taught me how to read defense. He taught me how to study tape. All those things. So all of a sudden, four years later, he's the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, and they're looking for a quarterback, and I'm the guy that he wanted because we spent that year together. He, he knew, hey, I wasn't a polished product yet. I had a ways to go, but he saw that, that kind of diamond in the rough. That's, yeah, I could work with this guy. There's talent. I could work with him. So we go way, way back, and you know we've had that relationship. And when I came to Philadelphia, in fact, it's funny. I, as, as I came up the stairs to meet with you guys, John Ramsdell, quarterback's coach of the Rams, is there. And I, you know, first thing he was a big hug. You know, it's just how everyone reacts when you're around Dick Vermeil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, he just taught you to, to love the people that you you work with, you play with, and you know, even respect your opponent. So, so when, when I think of what Dick taught me, not only the hard work ethic, but the discipline. And I think that's one thing that that you know, there there are a lot of great football players in, in in this game right now. There's always been great football players, but I think the teams that usually end up being the championship teams are the ones with the most discipline to believe in leadership, to believe in structure. And Dick Vermeil taught me all those things. And 
you know, yeah, I had a 17-year NFL career, but I've also had, had a, a 31 years at ESPN. And I've also, also built a golf company, which I, I learned how to run a business from the discipline that Dick Vermeil taught me. And I want to go back to the 31 years at ESPN because you mentioned back in 1973, he taught you how to watch tape. How much did that carry you through a couple of careers? (laughs) Just incredible. Well, uh, we actually started the NFL matchup show on ESPN because I worked out of NFL Films, and we were the only outlet where I could get that coach's tape. It was like the holy grail, man. You know, know, if you're a football player, do you want it? It might be a little boring for some people, you know, to watch X's and O's and Jaws with the clicker. And it might be boring, but that's how you learn the game. But I'll never say, that won't work on TV. So Merrill Hodge, Susie Colbert, and myself did the uh, NFL matchup show with Greg Cosell out of NFL Films, and it exploded. Now, not, it's not for everybody because it's kind of the drilled-down minutia of the game, but people that really wanted to learn were like, wow. I mean, I, mean, I would like run a playback like eight times. People say, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you got to watch 11 players. You got to watch the 11 off. <laughs> you can't watch one guy. Like, you watch on TV, you watch a quarterback, which is okay with me. But, but, right. so, we, so we built that matchup show into really an iconic show. Yeah. You mentioned, Ron, that when people are around Dick Vermeil, they're hugging. That's just what they do. But what was that like when you first realized that Dick Vermeil was this guy, that he was going to be emotional and it was going to be a family environment and a loving environment? I imagine at that time, especially early on in your career in a football environment, that that was a little unusual. No question about it. In, in fact, NFL Films has that clip with Coach Dye on the sideline. And you play in Philadelphia. We were a developing team. We weren't very good. And uh, I'm having one of those days, and, you know, the, the boos are cascading from the, the, the 700 level of Veterans Stadium. And he grabs him, and, and he was Mike for the game. I didn't even know this. I mean, you don't know when the coaches or something's Mike. So he puts his arm around me, and, he, and the fans are booing. He goes, you know, the fans have been booing their quarterback here for years, and they've never won anything. You're my quarterback. I'm sticking with you. Don't worry about a thing. Go out there and play. Don't worry if you make a mistake. I'm not jerking you from the game. You're my quarterback. I can't tell you what that meant. It was unbelievable what it meant because here the fans are on here, the media's on here. You know, hey, we're not a good football team, but we're, you, we know we're building to become a good football team. And you had to weather the storm. You had to deal with it. And you can you got to bow your back and say, "Let's go." But that moment was 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 really a turning point for us. You know, he those were more than words. You know, he backed up. Then he went to press conference after the game and said, "Hey, this is my quarterback." Forget it. Do all you want. Dude, this guy's going to be my quarterback. You know, we went on a run of like 44 wins and 20 losses after yeah. that, you know? <laughs> right. and yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what he had with you guys. With, with the Rams, he had that wheelbarrow. Are, are you in? Get, get in the oh, yeah, yeah. So I would think that's the sort of thing, from your perspective, you jumped in that wheelbarrow right away when you heard that, right? right? You got it. You, yeah, I, I still remember that, that run, the, you know, 20, the, the Super Bowl run, because I was with ESPN and obviously with the entree and the coach for meal and Mike March and that whole regime that was there, um, you know, I, I became very close to everybody there. I mean, I, I, had, I had the liberty to go and play calling meetings and because Dick knew I wasn't going to let anything out, you know, but yeah. I, I was like really, I, I felt almost like a top part of the team, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I, was a, I was assigned to St. Louis every week. It was great. You know, it became like my second home and found that team was real special. And you talk about, you know, you get in the wheelbarrow, you know, everyone's in. The coach was always great with speeches, you know, pregame speeches, night before speeches. He, I mean, he, he really took his time meticulously. Like, you, you saw his handwriting. It's, mm-hmm. And, man, it would drive me crazy. We'd sit and, <laughs> we'd sit and play calling. I mean, he'd write very meticulously, you know, firm, 848, backs flat. And, you know, I want to get the hell out of there. It's Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be really, really slow. And you could read everything very legibly. You know? yeah. But that's how he was. He was very meticulous. 
it was all about standards, though, it seems like, in every aspect of his life, in every aspect of the game. Even writing out the notes, there was a certain standard and a certain way that things needed to be done. It was a championship standard. Yes. It, 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 he did not accept mediocrity. Uh, there, there, there are, and I'm, you know, I've, I've been around the game, not, I don't know, as a player for 17 years, but covering the game for ESPN. There are some coaches that are happy to go 9-7 and seven or maybe 9-8 and eight with today's 17-game schedule. You know why? Because they're unlikely to get fired. If you can stay above 500, you're going to keep your job. You're going to get a new big contract, which are really big right now. Yeah. But there were some coaches that they, they were not risk takers. They didn't want to take the risk to become a championship team and make deals and trade people or you know draft a guy that's really not the guy most people really want, but draft a guy that fits the mode of what you want on your football team. So there are a lot of coaches that are happy going you know 9 and 8, 500. I mean, we're 500 team. I'll keep my job. I'll get a new contract. But the guys that are aggressive, like a coach meal that's going to take the shot, you know, with the Kurt Warner, you know, with the Isaac Bruce's, with the Mike Martz and his crazy offensive schemes and all that. Those are the teams that win championships. I think about that in sports in general. You see it in, in the NFL, especially at the college level, too. If you don't win after two or three years, you're out. And I think that does. Well, if you get two or three years, Michelle. You're, yeah, you're lucky. That's right. No doubt. But I think you're right. I think it has fostered this mentality of I want to coach not to lose rather than coach to win. Yeah. Yeah. There, 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 are, there is a, a part of guys that that's how they approach it. And. I, you know, I think there are some organizations that even they're, they're safe. They're, they're going the safe route. They're not willing to you know get at the tip of that diving board and jump in. You know and say, hey, okay, this we're going to try to win a championship. It's it's you know what we may not, but we're gonna, we're going to go all in on it. Now we hear that a lot, how all in. But you know if you really you know drill down and look closely and look under the covers, eh, they're just happy to go eight and eight and keep the fans off their back and you know get a good draft choice and move on and right, make right. their millions of dollars. Sure. <laughs> Michelle and Randy in Canton for Dick Vermeil's Hall of Fame weekend. Ron Jaworski joining us. One of the things, well, the thing that Coach says he's most proud of is that he was able to get players to do things that they didn't think they could do. What did he get Ron Jaworski to, to, to do that you didn't think you could do? Probably believe in myself. You know, I, I think, you know, I, we all kind of think we're kind of confident and cocky on the outside, but I, I really wasn't sure of myself. And, and, and he taught me that, you know, hey, you believe in yourself. You, that I had the talent. You know, I had the talent to get it done. Now I had to go deep down inside and carry that, the talent that I had from the practice field to the game. Because, you know, games are different, you know, a, a lot different. I, you know, it, and it's sometimes hard to explain because I've seen a lot of players. And, you know, of the years of working with ESPN, I'm going to scout different quarterbacks for our, all the stuff that we do for around the draft. And I, I see guys and go, wow, that guy's incredibly talented. Go to their pro days. But they go on the football field. They can't transfer that. They can't. And so what you got to do is you got to believe in yourself, that ability. You have the talent to believe in yourself, to transfer it. And then the coaching staff and the system that you fit into nicely. So there's a lot of a lot of moving parts all the time why a player is successful or not. Ron Jaworski is wearing a Ron Jaworski golf Shirt, uh, you're the CEO of Ron Jaworski Golf. First thing I got to ask about this is: uh, you, need a, you need a tee time? <laughs> <laughs> yes. People in the industry say, "Never get a chance to play." Do you get a chance to play? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And how did how did this come about? How many how many courses are are you? I, I own and operate seven golf courses in the Philadelphia, area, and the golf business is really good right now. Yeah. And people always ask me, you know, Jaws. They see I, I wear a shirt, Ron Jaworski Golf. Actually, I got into golf because. On Tuesday was our always day off, our day off in the in the NFL, and I would always go play golf on Tuesday. 
basically because I wanted to get the hell away from the media, <laughs> my teammates, our coaches, everyone else. And just so when you're out, you're out in the golf course. You know, you're by yourself or your three best buddies or whatever, and you're just playing golf and having a good time. And I just fell in love with the game. And when I, you know, made a few bucks as a player, I decided to get in the golf business. And now my wife, my son, they do the heavy lifting. I, I hang out with you guys. They but, do the heavy lifting, great. but but it's a lot of fun. And by the way, as horrible as the pandemic was. Golf is a perfect pandemic sport, right? No question. We, well, during, during the pandemic, it was not so good because uh, in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, we were closed for 41 days, period. Oh, wow. Lost $6.1 yeah. million dollars in, in 41 days. It wasn't good, but yeah. we did recover. We came back from the pandemic okay. because everyone started playing golf. Social distance, ladies, outside. Yeah, ladies, seniors, uh, kids. Uh, it just blew up. It, it just blew up. So I'm not, I'm not going to wood as I say this because we're having a pretty good run now. Okay, Jess, who is the uh, guy who's involved in football or in the NFL that's the most fun? to golf with uh I'll, I'll give you a guy that it that i play a few times with and actually gonna play next week with him charles barkley now uh-huh. he's not a football <laughs> player go. he could be a football <laughs> player could. could be a football but uh, i play a lot with joe flacco joe is joe actually is one of my business partners and joe obviously is still playing in the nfl uh but joe is very uh, he's a very steady player but i, I really play with everybody I, i'm marshall falk and everyone's familiar with marshall how he loves to play the game i play with marshall occasionally so you know it, it, it's the one thing at now my age i could be competitive with so <laughs> that's great <laughs> we can have fun be competitive hey it, it, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you stopping by it's so great to talk to you and uh, we're all so excited to honor dick Vermeil this weekend aren't yeah, we there there are so many people coming out I, you know i looked at the guest list and I, i'm so excited for tonight the uh, gold jacket dinner and tomorrow night the induction and the party tomorrow night to, to honor the coach and carol and his whole family it's a it's gonna it's remarkable and and I, I i i know how much this means to dick to have so many people here and it means so much that you know back in st louis what he did for that community is, means so much to him and i i'm almost like him i get a little emotional because <laughs> i really know how he feels it's great. Just yeah. thanks for stopping by. We appreciate Thank it. You. Ron Jaworski, the uh, great quarterback under Dick Vermeil in Philadelphia. DV going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame tomorrow here in Canton. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.